welcome to Movement is My Constant. In this podcast, I invite movement researchers to share their embodied knowledge through open conversations as inspiration for organizations and leaders to design the future of work. Where intention goes, awareness goes. Where awareness goes, chi follows, chi goes. Today is Karunavira, also known as KV for his students. KV has been teaching mindfulness-based practices long before it became the mainstream necessity of our modern times. Such practices can combine Buddhist philosophy influences with Eastern Chinese medicine, for instance. With over 30 years of accumulated knowledge, uh, Karunavira embodies honest awareness. He was ordained a Buddhist monk in the late 80s into the Triratna Buddhist order, of which his name results from, Karuna Vira. Through counseling work and movement practices, KV creates his own methodology and approach to mindfulness with attentive care for both the body and mind, giving students a modern approach to mindfulness. KV keeps reminding us, the students, of the deep connection with our body and mind, through generous humor, a light spirit, and self-respect, showing us how we can easily introduce pockets of awareness into the daily life. Welcome, KV, to Movement is My Constant. <laughs> well, <clears throat> thank you for such a generous introduction. Um, <laughs> yeah, very lovely. So I usually start with uh, asking my guests about childhood influences, you know, those early uh, stages of our development. Um, sometimes only in retrospective, are we able to see the, the importance of those moments and actually understand how they influence our life and our passion, the work we do. So yeah, what influences marked your childhood that you connect <laughs> to the work today? Oh, if I go right back to my early childhood, the simple fact that I didn't even think about movement. So not thinking about movement is great. I just lived where I could run outside into the country and um, play with friends all day. In the in, in winter and summer, just play in the woods, on the downs. In, I am in the south of England, so um, I live really close to the South Downs National Park. So I just think in terms of movement, yeah, it was just, everything was movement. It was just, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, later on, I um, I joined a, what used to be called the scouting movement. Okay. So the scouting movement is interesting. They call it movements, isn't it? The movement. Um, and that was, you know, with kayaking and climbing and mm -hmm. caving, potholing running and uh, but I think I think by the time I got to be a teenager I was kind of inherently a little bit shy a little bit um, not introverted but a little bit shy of big groups and I used to love doing the long distance running on the in the countryside mm -hmm. so yeah I, I, there's nothing particular except there was no limits there was no restrictions the newspapers hadn't reported horrible things about childhood 
um, injuries and it it was uh, at, you know because it was just a freer time my mum didn't know where I was mm. she's a loving mother but she she didn't have any idea what I was doing <laughs> because we were just boys playing and girls playing and it was yeah. so I think my first sense of uh, ch my childhood I, I felt completely free uh, and I now look at my own uh, you know my own son's development to, even in that period of time, um, yeah, it's it's changed a lot with traffic mm -hmm. and yeah, and the sense of danger in around us. So, so yeah, it makes me feel a bit sad that children have to be kept so safe; they can't move properly. They can only move in adventure playgrounds where it's yeah, <laughs> it's not the same as being on your own in countryside. It's not the same. Also, the the experiences you've had on the countryside gave you probably the sort of 360 degree awareness of what's around you and how you could interact with it. In yeah, but as children, you don't know any of this. You're just no. alive and interested in everything. And um, you're connected. Yeah, not mindful because I wasn't aware that I was doing all this, but I can sense this freedom. It gave me a baseline idea of life which yeah. is very helpful yeah yeah it almost sounds like it's your right to be alive right yeah that's yeah a simple way of putting it yeah yeah and yeah. um were there people around you playing any role on the influence yeah well if i skip to the more as an adult a young adult a teen you know at college university yeah, I just became very interested in things Eastern, um, the philosophy from China and mm. the politics too in the early days. You know, I had, I had big pictures of Mao Zedong and Che Guevara oh. on my walls and I was a bit naive, I guess, but mm. I love the idea of people living together without, without financial hierarchy. Okay, because that was not yeah. the case, you, say, you would say where you were living well no the uk has got a class system and it's people with money i didn't have much money but um yeah so i liked things eastern seemed very attractive um so early early reading included the secret of the golden flower which is a text describing a meditation of the body where you circulate using intention you circulate um awareness around the body and I found it deeply fascinating and that led me on to a number of other influences but finally to to practice in the martial arts so looking up um, in my 20s Tai Chi mm -hmm. and then Shotokan Karate so uh, they became big passions of mine mm -hmm. um, the Tai Chi and also the the harder style Shotokan teachers had an influence on me yet. right yeah 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 so how was that process those teachers how was the process of learning those arts because i believe once you shared with me the um you know the ego mind where you were really focused on on the achievement of that also that physical uh status if you could call of those arts versus the internal growth perhaps yeah, I don't know, but the Shotokan Karate just spoke to the hero. Mm. 
you know, spoke to the heroic and yeah, the high energy, you know, as a young man, it was a fantastic way of, you know, exploring these archetypes, the hero, you know, you see them on the films, like Superman and Bruce Lee. <laughs> it's a way that I could actually embody some of those archetypes. Mm. And the Tai Chi had this more spiritual, um, mysterious quality to it. Mm. And the, I, I once saw when I was in my late teens, someone doing Tai Chi in a park. I thought, wow. You know, I thought, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is, I want to do that. And then I just <laughs> and so a very deep attraction for that kind of I don't know I can now give it words, but okay. at the time yeah. I couldn't give it words. It just looked very beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Very whole. I mean I, these days I would give it words like the body moving as an integrated whole, mm. mind body completely unified. Yeah. But then I later studied yoga in the Iyengar style, became a teacher of Iyengar yoga. And there the integration of mind and body is, is very well mapped out in, in Indian yoga. Mm. But it, it's, I don't know. The, I don't know. It, it didn't ever really, really uh, meet my needs for a sense of whole body integration in the same way that Tai Chi did. Yeah. Ashtanga yoga then came in. Ashtanga yoga with series one and two has more of a feeling of connectedness through the body because the whole body is moving in a series of sequences. Mm -hmm. But there's something about the Tai Chi which allows for a deeper calming of the system mm. and a deeper opening of the system, not just physical opening, but a kind of... Um, I don't know, what, I can't say which is better, but for me, the Tai Chi held this uh, a, a, a kind of, wow, oh, what is it? A sense of infinite, infinite ex exploration of how the body can move and how the mind and the body can move together. Yeah. When I say mind moving, in Tai Chi, the mind leads. So there's a phrase which is where intention goes, awareness goes where awareness goes chi follows chi goes mm. so it's very much a sense that the language of awareness of attention which we use in mindfulness in the chinese uh, tai chi qigong tradition it's very much what they're talking about chi is awareness it's mm -hmm. moving it's uh, and it moves along lines of intention so where intention goes, she follows. Mm -hmm. So this sense of integrating the mind-body, that, that's a big thing to say, but it's not just the, the mind is a lot of things. It's, it's um, intention is a very important part of mind, a function of mind. So you're training intention mm -hmm. very, moment by moment, you know, not just an idea, but embodied working with intention. So it's, it's deeply unifying, yeah. deeply, and so they're de therefore deeply satisfying, yeah. and therefore deeply healing. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. you could say where where happiness goes, health follows. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of science around that. A lot of studies that show 
happiness is a predictor of well-being and health. Depression is a predictor of cancer, heart disease, and a whole load of other diseases, bowel. So contentment, at least, is a predictor of health. Yeah. And I find that the Qigong Tai Chi practices, yeah, they really do cultivate contentment. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I've just gone on a rather long way there, but... Um, no, not at all. It's very aligned. I think it's also interesting to the the way you're describing it and my own personal experience. Uh, I relate to the 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 when you were trying to also develop uh, an inquisitive and observ observatory uh, mind in the students in us. When you are doing your chi uh, exercises, what is open and what is closed, and that's how I relate to what you are now saying about the awareness uh, that comes uh, after um, with those movements. Uh, yes. And then you can see the chi uh, or not, where is closed, uh, and what then you can stay and observe. Uh, it's sort of a journey, uh, and. Mm. Perhaps the yigan yigangar, I cannot say that word, the yoga practices you've studied. Ayenga. Ayenga. Um, it's more of a structure. You are following a series of, of, of postures, perhaps, and more. I've, I've explored also that practice a little bit, and it's more structural. There's a little bit more challenge and tension in my experience. I, I think if you go into, if I, if, if I give more time to the Iyengar yoga, it can be very similar. This sort of deeper opening of the muscles of joints. I guess I got captivated by something more Chinese. <laughs> yeah. It just got captivated. There's a certain quality of heat, what I call heat in uh, Indian yoga, mm. a kind of what well, it can easily be for me forcefulness, uh, you know, striving, which just doesn't make sense with Tai Chi, unless you're doing pushing hands and then you can get competitive. But so there's something about um, Indian yoga, the Iyengar yoga, which it, um, or in the end, my body told, made me stop because I damaged my, both my knees in with the, yeah with the the cartilage mainly to do with forcing in the yoga postures yeah. and then crashing about with the in the karate dojo you know two or three times a week for hours thrashing down up and down up and down in the end my knees just stopped working so okay. uh, i had to have operations on cartilage and in a way it showed me that my striving um had to stop mm. so then i switched to softer yoga and tai chi and qigong as a main a main discipline yeah and if if in those in those previous experiences that were more maybe the the ego mind or the hero uh mm. feeling uh and you were you focused in the body uh experiences when you shifted then to those more gentle sort of approaches although they can also be intense how did you feel about, you know, that ego? Did it immediately dissolve or were you struggling there? One of the great losses in my life, because I, I was a, 
I had two black belts. Uh, I had, you know, it, my, it was my life. My part of my, my self-image was that I was, um, yeah, I had a, a black belt in karate, wow. two of those, and giving it up was a big loss i really felt one of the first times i felt the sense of how myself was associated with particular skills before that it was just a whole i was just you know just all i had no sense of myself i, I was just a self but yeah loss often teaches us things so when i had to stop with the karate a deep sense of loss and having to find myself in a different way. So the part of me which was heroic and striving just got involved in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the spiritual, um, in, within Buddhism, I got more, yeah, I think it got channeled into a spiritual direction, which wasn't bad, but then I had, I had the equivalent failure of the knees spiritually, like where you, the point where the ego wasn't going to go anywhere. It could, I couldn't carry on in the same way. So I had a kind of um, an equivalent collapse of the knees in the spiritual life as well, where I had to just stop and yeah. come, come to it from a more honest, yeah. uh, more honest position, I guess, right. less, less driven. Yeah. yeah. But and all those years of heroic striving were really important for me. Yeah. They, they gave me something which I wouldn't have got from the Tai Chi or the yoga. I needed something strong to engage with. And the fantasies, the mythology of the super person, that I think was all very helpful. It had to stop in the end, but it was, um, I think sometimes there's a premature giving up mm. of, um, if you like, ego egoism. Mm. So that people bypass an important learning about where the ego just has to give up because it has to give up. Yeah. So you're led by an idea rather than, I guess, a more of an embodied sense of having to stop. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. I was glad to have had the the succession of movement practices I've had because they they each gave me something. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine also the support from your uh, your learnings in the Buddhist philosophy that also helped to navigate through those times in a more deeper sense. Oh, yes. Without some of this deeper sense of what the world is, I, I don't, not, it's not really Buddhism, it's more a, a clearer sense of reality. Mm. One not tied up with um, illusions of self yeah without that it would all be very difficult to to move to a less self um a less self inward kind of fixed view yeah. uh, fixed view it, so in buddhism you have the sense of what's important is you see that the the self is not fixed mm -hmm. this is the fundamental teaching that there's no fixity there's no solidness everything's flow and flux movement and that's incredibly important because that's the way nature is from quarks to what well, now the mic the inside quarks as other energies are discovering in the 
the larger hadron collider there's yeah new new particles new forces but it's all movement yeah it's all movement. there are this is the mysterious thing there are what they call fundamental particles mm. now you want to know do they move yeah, <laughs> yeah anyway i'm just saying living my life more in harmony with the truth of change of flow yeah. of flux of movement mm -hmm. of not being so fixed that's incredibly freeing mm -hmm. it's also scary because you've got nothing so much to hang on to but so without that underpinning buddhist philosophy or yeah I call it that mm -hmm. it would be very difficult to really embrace the truth of change yeah it would seem scary and fear full of fear exactly. so the, the the wider bigger picture isn't full of fear yeah but in order to embrace that you have to give up a sense of fixed self exactly well that just it, it dissolves slowly i guess yeah exactly and move away from those structures that you find are so important to navigate mm. your life i guess like the black belt can be a structure that you are attached yeah. to and when you yeah. remove that you can go deeper oh it's an endless list as a yoga teacher mindfulness teacher parent you know exactly. son all these things these structures yeah. they're all important and lovely and beautiful have beauty in them yeah. but you know, if i if i tie myself to them then I'm not really free. Relationship between structure and freedom, which is very important. We need structures to enable freedom. But, you know, structures can limit freedom. Yeah. It's getting a bit philosophical, but... <laughs> you know, if you're tied to the structure of Qigong or Tai Chi mm -hmm. um, and trying to get it right as a structure, you're not really living inside it. Mm -hmm. But the, but the structure, the form, enables a sense of freedom. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to get lost in words and ideas, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so we'll just take it in little, in little sips. But that is a fantastic, uh, once you understand this uh, and can free yourself, it's a fantastic uh, principle, experience, etc. So I wanted to uh, go back or dive a little bit into the Qigong or, or the practices of Qi um, that you, perhaps you want to tell a little bit about that just for people who don't know what it is, I would like to, yeah. yeah. So there are many kinds of Qigong and people who speak Chinese would be criticizing the way I say Qi, Qi. My, I can't pronounce the, the terminology very well. I, mm. my, my English mouth doesn't do it, but I, I, I practice a kind of Qigong called Shiba Shi, yeah. which is um, in Chinese, it means 18 movements, 18, 18 postures. And it's a relatively new development, less than 200 years old. It's quite, quite you know, actually much less. So it's, but it's based upon a very long tradition of Chinese yoga, the Qigong yoga. Um, so it's a kind of um, a, a very lovely way of practicing Qigong, mm -hmm. um, using the breath alongside the moving body. So a lot of Qigong doesn't do that 
in the same way the shiba shi um, uses the in-breath the out-breath uh, um, with each movement so it's a unif unification of breath and body movement so the, the physical structure moves in relationship to the natural breath so to give you an example, if I just say the, there's one movement, which two hands rise, um, the whole body rises and falls. So you can't see the whole of my body, but my legs would be coming up, my legs going down. And the reference point for this movement is the breath. So the idea here is that the body follows nature. The body is receptive to nature. So as I breathe in and breathe out, what I'm doing is letting the, letting the breath, allowing the breath to be what it is, natural breath. Yeah. And the body follows the breath. So yeah. this is very, for me, this links up with Sir David Attenborough. Oh. <laughs> Because yeah. of <laughs> Wonderful. You know, the, the importance of listening to and being in harmony with nature. Yeah. This basic error that humankind has made, um, which I'm not sure we'll get through eventually, but I don't know, see, but this basic error that we've made is we've not been living in harmony, sufficient harmony with nature. Yeah. And the Qigong practice I'm talking about practices living in harmony with nature because the breath is nature. Yeah. It's the most natural thing that is happening all the time. I mean, it's, all of us is nature, but the observable, usable, um, dynamic of breath is nature. Yeah. And we can then become receptive to nature. So there's a principle about the Qigong I'm doing, which is, becoming receptive to the natural world, which is a very beautiful thing. Allowing nature to be happening, the mm. breath is happening. Mm. Mm. And not just sitting on a cushion cross-legged trying to work with your mind, but the whole body yeah. engaging with this. Yeah. Whole body working with the breath. And then the principle then is one of integration. So uh, this, you know, Qigong masters might disagree with me, but this is my sense of it. Yeah. After 40 years of practice or so, it's you my sense of to that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, but it could still be wrong. You get lots of old, not very wise people. But <laughs> my sense is um, integration is one of the main, the two main principles with the Qigong practice and Tai Chi. Mm. One is integration in that there's no part of the body moves separately. If this hand goes up, there's got to be a movement within my body yeah. as well. The movement in the body could be very small in the center, but there's a sense of movement in the body that's reflected in the extremities, in the hands and feet and head. So there's no isolated movement. There's no and one of the problems with our lives today, I'm going to get a bit philosophical here, is disintegration. Families not together, mm -hmm. 
disconnect between refugees and other people, yeah. disconnect between men and women, between mm -hmm. Muslim and non-Muslim, between you know Shia and Sunni. It's all these disconnections between people. Yeah. And the Shigong is, is, is embodying connection and integration of, of not just body and muscles, but mind and intention and breath. So as far as I can see, it's the most complete integration practice I do. When I do meditation, I try to keep that quality that I'm having the Shigong in the meditation. Yeah. I work with the body movement, the body energies. With I work on my mind using the metaphor of body energies. Yeah. Somatic yeah. approach to the mind. Mm. So that's the first principle. The second principle, as far as I can tell, is one of opening. So in Qigong and in Tai Chi, there's a principle that you don't close, yeah. you open. Now, if you do this exercise with me now, there's a, that, if you stretch out really wide, that's not open. Can you feel the tension in the joints? Yeah. Locked, it's locked. Yeah. And there's a point here where that's not open. Yeah. And there's something somewhere between. And it's very mysterious. <laughs> something you can play with this for hours where it's an optimum openness exactly. of the muscles, the bones, the energy flowing. It's interesting, this, this little middle finger called the master finger, mm -hmm. when that's slightly expressed, this area becomes more open. Go. Yeah. This air of the palm. So, yeah, practicing, it's a lifelong, amazing thing just to practice that. Yeah. How can my hands be open? How can my heart be open? Yeah. yeah. How can my back and chest and. So, opening, openness is a major principle in meditation, in well being, in psychology. And in everything I can think of, actually. But yeah. so the Qigong practices opening the body, um, and of course, using the hermetic principle. You know, what is below is reflected above. In you know, so what is in the body is reflected in the mind, and then in the spirit. So, a body practice that practices integration and openness will then be quite naturally reflected in the, the way the mind operates, mm. the way the heart operates. So I think this is really important that we, we in the Western world, we tend to focus on this bit of us. Yes. And we develop, we develop, you know, ideas. Right. You know, theories and... <laughs> you know, Wonderful. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, can be very helpful. It's not unimportant. This is this is the body too. Yeah. It's only a very small part, a disconnected part of the body. Yeah. Anyway, I'll, yeah. Le I'll leave it there. Openness and integration would be the two things. And the receptivity. And um, I think it's interesting because I was questioning myself about what makes an embodied uh, practice. And, you know, maybe for some people, just the fact that they are in front of a mirror and just doing, I don't know, very intense, hard, you know, uh, strength work, they might consider that an embodied practice because they are working with their body, but not necessarily yeah. exactly because of those reasons we were just touching upon. 
because probably your 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 goal of it is completely different. It's just the creating those tensions on your body. In the gym, this part is often in the future mm. or the past. Exactly. So actually, it's not an integration. You're doing your body work, but you're not doing mind body work. Mm. The thing that yoga, qigong, tai chi, pilates, walking in the countryside, yeah. these are things which you unify mind body. Exactly. A lot of the other stuff isn't really connecting mind body, yeah. not in the same way. It's quite more difficult. Exactly. Yeah. So, so. You could also say the the reason you integrate these practices into your so essentially what makes these mindfulness based approaches why do they matter and they are this this whole combination right yeah so mindfulness based approach that's what i do for a living now I train teachers at bangor university um and elsewhere mm -hmm. um in mindful what's called mindfulness based approaches um yeah they they collect together a number of different practices some more body based some less body based but they're all they're all based on a, um, a principle of embodiment so mindfulness based what does that all that mean there's jargon isn't it mindfulness awareness awareness so awareness doesn't have any limits it includes awareness of body of mind of heart Maybe you could even go further and talk about spirit or energy or something like this. But yeah, so where, well, where, where am I going with this? I'm not sure where I'm going with this. <laughs> not, no, I guess yeah. what you were trying to say is uh, how those the, the 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 complexity the complexity or the connection between all those practices, those skills that they give you, right? The the awareness, the connection with mind-body, uh, and uh, that they really open up all those receptors for the thing, yeah. right? Yeah, th that's what I was trying to get to. Really, was that um, although mindfulness-based approaches use a lot of what you might, what looks like meditation techniques, people are sitting down on chairs or on the floor on cushions, they're meditating. Um, meditation in this context of mindfulness is very much a body-based practice the body is you're integrating the body and mind you're working with the mind through the body so yeah mindfulness-based approaches are a more systematic way of introducing people to these principles of um, awareness integration openness mm -hmm. and usually they're, they're, they're they take the form of an eight-week course two two hours two and a half hours um, a lot of people have heard of them, like mindfulness-based stress reduction, mindfulness-based um, living, uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. They're, they're all different approaches to helping people live more fluidly, mm -hmm. more creatively, less tied up, less fixed, stuck, less stuck. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Mindfulness for unsticking. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You could put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's also this, uh, you also mentioned it once, it's the slow movement for the fast activity. So the understanding slow, uh, so that when you are ready to take action, you come from a different place, you come from that practice. 
Yeah, it's not necessarily slow. Yeah. Although it looks like that. It's more like um, from um, the brain, human brain has got two major functions. One is to do with avoiding, avoiding danger. And the other is to do with just resting. So we're designed through evolution with these two, two ways of operating. Uh, and when, when you're living close to people, in, in, like in cities or families, the, the stress reaction, which is the, the one to do with avoiding fear and um, avoiding danger, that applies to um, people. So there's a lot of stress, quite natural stress that happens amongst primates, amongst humans, when they're in groups, any kind of groups, uh, it's a challenge of difference and do I fit in? So stress is a feature of being human. Um, and what we're doing really, I guess, is learning to take action from a, from the other mode of being. Not that when you're in the stress mode, your decision making isn't very good. Your ability to reference to the past isn't very good. You're, have a, you have a narrow um neurologically a very narrow focus for survival yeah. and um that's not a good place to make any decisions from yeah so mindfulness teaches people to move out of that for a moment for just what like you called it pockets i love that in your introduction yeah. little pockets of awareness which you can just it can take a minute or less yeah. to move into awareness let the system that the fear and um fight flight freeze type that that kind of um danger yeah that system can then calm enough to allow the other system to come online it's really like having two programs on your computer two two bits of software when one's working the other one isn't it's in the background there but it's not really functioning so it's about having the ability to say okay i'm gonna now switch from this normal way of being which is entirely valuable get things done we call it the doing mode you get things done you make things fantastic but it if it's pressurized it doesn't give rise to what you might call blue sky thinking creative thinking uh, effective team work um, effective parenting mm. it isn't that effective it's good for getting something done yeah. But it's not good for this overview, a sense of what's needed now. So, yeah, we're training people to step out of one bit of software into a using that terrible metaphor of software into a software called being mode just yeah. momentarily. Yeah. Doesn't take long. Mind clears, the hippocampus comes online, the prefrontal cortex comes back into functioning properly, you know, and then you get a flow. There's yeah. the movement of the mind, a synaptic flow. Ideas come forward, memories come forward, images come forward. Mm -hmm. And you know what to do. Yeah. A little bit yeah. more than you did when you were in this more tight doing mode. Exactly. It's as simple as that. It's, we all have this capacity to step out of this doing into being. It's quite natural. Yeah. But we don't practice it much because most of our world is orientated around the doing bit. Yeah. And the being bit isn't isn't monetized. You don't get any money for it. <laughs> you yeah. don't get any hats on the back for it. Exactly. The parents don't always celebrate it. Yeah. Good teachers would. Yeah. Good parents would celebrate the quiet moments. 
but uh, I mean, uh, unfortunately, parents want to see results. Their kids do well in sport, in school, and so the doing aspect is even comes into the parenting. Yeah, and this other bit, which is about reflection, love, appreciation, approach, that doesn't get so praised or looked after or cultivated. Yeah, it's this quantitative versus the qualitative. We are living in yeah. a very quantitative uh, society. Give me yes. the results today. <laughs> now. Yes. So in a way, it's very simple. The, the movement practices support this, this non-instrumental aspect of life, yeah. this non-doing, less instrumental, yeah. more being. Yeah. Um, unless you use the movement practices with an intention of doing, of becoming great or you know, strong or best. Or... So really, I, I guess the intention behind your movement practice needs to be looked at continuously. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with competitiveness. I mean, I loved all that, but it's it has a limitation as well. Yeah. So therefore, I think when your your movement practice needs dialogue, you need to be speaking with mentors and teachers who understand this point and can help guide you. Uh, I guess if you want to be competitive, to be really competitive, <laughs> but to guide this process of um, becoming more aware of the intention. Um, but actually, it happens quite naturally too through life. You know, yeah, it seems to happen quite naturally. Yeah, yeah. But I do I do like the this moment where we are touching upon the importance of of the the slowing down or you know those little pockets. I believe mm. that once you do it, you really incorporate others, you include everything that is around you uh, by moving away from that narrow stance mm. where only you exist and only you matter because you're yes. on your survival mode, you all of a sudden yeah. you realize wait. You know, there's more around me and you create different strategies if you like it. Uh, but with the intention of including and uh, yeah, the receptivity that you were saying, that's how I. You could do this with uh, MRI scanning. You can you can show this actually happening at the level of neurology. Mm -hmm. The prefrontal area has a right and a left dominance. Um, it just sort of gets formed in childhood, just which one is more approach to do with including and opening the others to do with more task uh, evaluating rational or they're both operating together and they, they cross over but there's a predominance on the right of the approach of being open connected uh, receptive mm -hmm. and they've done studies measuring the prefrontal the activity in the prefrontal area before and after an eight-week mindfulness course. So uh, research by Lutz and Davidson, mm -hmm. uh, you can look these up. Yeah. And they, they noticed that even after just a short eight-week course, the setting, the set point it's called, which is mo more dominant, has changed. So you measure that in terms of how bright the synapse, you know, when you MRI scan, you're, you're measuring blood flow, so right. which indicate, it indicates activity. So you can see that the activity on the approach, appreciative side, the connected side, that is more lit up and it stays that way. 
That's what I find interesting. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go away after a few weeks. It stays, mm -hmm. you've changed the set point. Yeah. Now I think that's fantastic that we can change our brain. Yes. You know, we, it's not like we get fixed in childhood because we had a funny teacher or parent. We can change. Yeah. And it's, it's a underlying underpins the importance of behavioral approaches to the mind what we do changes what our mind does and how our mind works what we do with our mind shapes our mind and when i say mind i don't mean the mind i mean the heart mind the mind isn't the brain it's the heart mind it's a it's an intuition emotional base as well as the rational base yeah yeah that's yeah, exciting. Isn't it? It's we, exciting. exciting. It's, it's really, <laughs> I love this. It's all this concept also of neuroplasticity, right? Uh, yes. How yeah. you do adapt, how you can change. And I love it because all, well, a big part of our lives, we are taught that, you know, when you reach a certain age or that people don't change, I do not believe in that, honestly. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> Uh, uh, it is true that people change slowly. Slowly. Okay. It is true that some people can get quite stuck. Mm, yeah, but and the capacity. We have the capacity. We all have the capacity to change. Mm -hmm. There are some people born with such strong neurodiversity that it's very difficult to make those changes. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to the rest of society to make changes to include those people. Mm. So I think the outward looking aspect of this is also important. Yeah. It's not just my brain that can do I can I can adapt to others too. I can include others. So yeah, the importance of awareness practices, which is all that we've been talking about really, in terms of how we live together on this planet, how we live how we work together. And yeah, acknowledging some people can't change that quickly. You know, the, the Trump followers are not going to change quickly. We had to somehow work with, that's a whole, from yeah. their perspective, a really important values. They have values and beliefs. And yeah. so harmony means working with yeah. difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is really challenging. Yeah, it's very, very challenging. Also, because at some point you need to know when to let go or when to pursue. You need to kind of make decisions through that yeah. path. Um, and uh, so, again, going back to, I guess, that after all the work that you're doing with students or, you know, or clients or etc., uh, you, besides the, the measurement, you can see in the quality of their lives. So you do also recognize the impact of, yeah, these uh, mindfulness-based approaches on their lives yeah i mean i would say i can't speak for other people but they meet me in the street and they say oh i'm made my life changed they say things like this but uh, for me um i would i could gloss it as i say i could say that it makes me slightly less reactive mm. these days i'm slightly less quick to be critical or whatever else in the negative emotion is there yeah. embarrassed um competitive so yeah. slightly less reactivity yeah. but i think it's precious that slight reduction of reactivity gives space around me where other people can be different yeah 
Yeah. If and I'm if I'm reactive, other people will be reactive. If I'm not reactive, they have a chance to be less reactive. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think it also adds adding to that. Uh, it's also about you are still reactive, but you're coming from a different space. You can't. It doesn't mean you're going to be uh, ap apathetic. You know, like that you cannot have any reactions anymore. You have them, but they're much deeper because you've connected yeah. to your core, to your more. Yeah, it's not apathy. It, yeah. it's, it can be very strong. Yeah, exactly. It can look like anger. Yeah. If, you're, if you've got to sort something out, you can be very energetic, yeah. but you're not attacking the person. Yeah. Reactivity becomes very personal, usually. Yeah. You get the, the content gets mixed up with the person. So I think what's important when we have to have strong action, strong, it's not really, it's, it's more still a response. What's important is that we see the bigger picture. Yeah. And this is where a stress reaction doesn't allow a bigger picture. It really is just sort out this little bit here. Yeah. So this, this um, opening out to the bigger picture is just not possible. So it's a very, very simple, easily done bit of work <laughs> you know a few years a few years of practice and there'd be enough change to make quite a difference to you and your family that's absolutely true but i mean it's, it is it is no one gives you presents for it you don't get any increase of salary for it you know to start with it's just very difficult you know it you have to get up a bit early and practice and so actually it, and and you have to see your habits yeah. you have to be you have to make friends with the nasty you mm. the selfish you the the bored person so this path of awareness means making friends with the the parts of you that you don't like and other people don't like and that's very difficult yeah I'd rather hide it all away brush it under under the carpet so to speak and get yeah. so facing it yeah. is difficult work yes yes exactly so after so many years of practice and teaching what keeps you going what keeps you motivated what keeps you <laughs> i could say have it <laughs> oh i enjoy the qigong in the morning in my garden i enjoy it i i'm doing the one which goes up to the sky and i see mm. the birds flying yeah, I yeah, I might see a, a jet plane going across the sky and think, oh, no, oh, no, the environment. So I'm connecting with the world yeah. each morning, the, the beauty and the trouble. And yeah. It feels very good. Yeah. The meditation is the same. I like trying to know what is my mind? Uh, what is it like? Most people don't really know what their mind is like. It just drives them. Yeah. They never turned back and looked into it and thought, well, and it's not fixed, but at the moment, what's it doing now? <laughs> oh yeah, wow, it's doing that. You know, and I think it's like, it's like the final David Asperger journey, mm. like the jungle, mm. full of beauty of yeah. the mind, the forest of the mind. It's like, wow, such danger, such beauty all in there. Mm. And it just takes a little bit of discipline to sit quietly and observe it. And I think it's very, so answering your question, it's, 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 it's rewarding, at times pleasurable, mm. 
and longer term i can really sense it stops me messing up mm. what do you, what messing up are we talking again about reactions or taking the bad yeah like saying to my wife something unkind or mm. just yeah to a shopkeeper not smiling or you know what i mean just moments of less awareness it just writing an email so quickly and sending it before i've really been with the content you know all those things when we mess up we cause ourselves problems yeah yeah or just the self-critical voice in my head that i don't notice like you're no i'm no good right i mean i like to notice those voices you know they need a bit of love those voices <laughs> and it's it's good to see them in light of oh hey what's the trigger there or uh, yeah. it's happening right now that the voice came out okay <laughs> well before you before going to why they're there they just need a cuddle mm, true that's true i think this is what i've learned from mindfulness that i can from psychotherapy and from philosophy i can look at why mm. but with mindfulness i'm not doing that i'm looking at where and the where means i can cuddle it I can hold it in my mind, in my attention, and I can approach it with some understanding. I don't really need to know why it's there in a way. Yeah. Sometimes I do, sometimes it just occurs, but really what's needed is to, like anyone with a problem, a friend with a problem, they just need to be listened to. They often don't need advice. Yeah. So I'm thinking, yeah, time to listen to my little demons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. They are really demons. Yeah. And um, so you're also working with younger children or young teenagers or uh, what is the challenge well, right there? Not, not, not directly. Um, mm -hmm. I supervise and mentor the work being done with teenagers with <clears throat> psychological issues like mm -hmm. anxiety, eating mm -hmm. disorders or depression. So we're using mindfulness, using mindfulness. Um, on an eight-week course to help them uh, understand through through their embodied understanding mm -hmm. of stress and how mm -hmm. to work with it um and it's it's interesting they're they're difficult to work with because they're socially anxious uh, they're shy they're a bit uh, you know attitude and you know uh, a bit cynical uh, <laughs> but actually they're very very bright brains very bright little beings these teenagers and they they learn so fast and they often they often at the end of the eight-week course have made some significant lifelong change mm -hmm. attitudes towards themselves yeah or their parents yeah so yeah i do a little bit of work with with that group of people yeah, well, that's that's quite exciting, isn't it, to be able to kind of massage these concepts or these experiences into the future generations so mm. that they can be educated from early on into these yeah. skills, skill of awareness. What, what's needed, though, is more of a public health approach rather than a clinical approach. Mm -hmm. The clinical approach, dealing with the problems when they arise, the public health one is, okay, vaccinate everyone. Well, hey, just imagine... Yeah. everyone getting mindfulness a little bit you know not big stuff but just a little bit in the curriculum at school <laughs> yeah. yeah 
exactly. vaccination against reactivity, you know, like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other aspect. I'm reading a book about it by Gabor Mate. I don't know, you probably heard about him. And he is really explaining the disconnect between, you know, the how we deal, how, how uh, the medical uh, world does not, uh, is not educated enough on uh, stress prevention and awareness. Mm. And they're not combined, it seems, yeah. in a holistic way. Uh, it is impressive. So, yeah. um, but um, I have one more question for you. Okay. My final question is, why is movement your constant? Oh, um, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is from the quark to the solar system, there isn't anything else. There is only movement. You know, there is nothing steady, static, uh, completely still anywhere. So maybe it's a truth of existence. It's movement, and you could call it energy. Movement. It's constant because it is constant. Why is it my constant? Well, I kind of noticed that it is. That's the truth. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's not to say I'm not still. St this movement in stillness, the stillness in movement. So what we mean by the word movement I don't know. I think in, I'm going to I'm going to end with this rather lovely quote from a teacher called Analio, uh, a, a Buddhist monk called Analio, contemporary writer, teacher. And he says, and this is my answer: keep calmly, knowing change. Mm. Keep calmly, knowing change. That's the whole teaching. That's it. That is all of it. Keep yeah. calmly knowing and change. Yeah. So that's why movement is my constant because that's the way it is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's the way it is. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, KV. This was a wonderful and rich conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed. Thank you for speaking. Very nice. Good luck with your project. Very good. Mm -hmm.